0: Welcome to the podcast version of Taproot TV, where weekly we share with you information for root cause analysis to analyze and fix the real root causes of problems at your company. Working together, we are all changing the way the world solves problems. So let's get straight to this week's episode. I wanted, but I want to talk about something different. You know, I got up and watched the news this morning. It's always a bad idea to do that. I watched four different news channels. By the time I was done watching four different news channels, I thought they ought to just put one of those, uh, you know, the symbols when they went off the air back in the day. I think they ought to just put one of those up and say, uh, we've left, the, or the earth is coming to an end. We've left to go to our cave. Um, we want to be the last ones alive that don't have coronavirus. Because it, it is, watching the news is just so depressing. And, and I think... You know, I'm here at the summit, and it's a really inspiring environment. I look at people here, and they're doing such good things, and, uh, you know, I'm just I'm in a different world. I'm in a different world from watching that news in the morning to coming here and enjoying the stories I hear about people improving performance. So what I thought I'd do is give you more of a motivational section session by ten, telling you stories that I've heard from Taproot users and then giving out some awards to Tappert users who've done some good things lately. The, I guess I'd say this was the first time I realized our impact on fatalities. Um, there was a company called Skyline Mines. And Skyline Mines uh, was out west, underground coal mine, um, a direct coal mine to power plant operation. I think it's direct. Or either that or there was a power plant very nearby that they sold to. And they started using taproot, and I knew they'd done the training. And a couple years went by. It was actually three years went by. And I got a call, and it was in December. It was before Christmas. And the guy said, hey, we've had a triple fatality, and I can't find a root cause. I want to talk it through with you. And I said, okay, sounds fine. Tell me the story. Read me your chart, right? And he says, well, it really isn't a work-related fatality, but we're claiming it because we want to pay these guys widows whatever they get for you know, an on-the-job fatality because it really wasn't an on-the-job fatality. It really was they were driving to training. They hadn't arrived at work yet. Drunk driver crossed the center line, hit him head on. They all three had their seatbelts on. They all three died. Um, the drunk driver didn't die, of course. And uh, the state police guy said there's nothing they could do. He crossed the center line at the last possible moment, hit him head on. He was going at a high rate of speed. Looks like they were going about what the speed limit was. And uh, he couldn't tell us anything that could be done to stop this. And I just wondered what the root cause is. So I couldn't really help him too much of that. What we did is we went through and looked at safeguards, right? And... What you realize when you're driving down a two-lane road is you don't have much safeguards between you and a drunk driver. There's that little yellow line down the middle, and if they don't pay attention to it, um, there's pretty much, when they come across the line at the last minute, there's nothing you can do. So we could not find a root cause, and I said, that's really sort of good news for you because it means there's nothing you as a corporation could have done. I mean, they even thought about making rules that you could only have one person in a car when driving to training. And, you know, so only one person would get killed rather than three. And I said, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense because then there'd be three times as many cars that could get hit. I mean, you'd reduce the number of fatalities in a particular accident, but you'd triple the odds of having an accident. So it was after I got off the phone with him that I realized, and he told me while I was talking that they, they hadn't had a fatality in three years. They started using Taproot about six months after using Taproot. They'd had this great progress on improving performance. They'd stopped having fatalities. They, they cut their number of MSHA violations by like 75%. They had reduced their lost time injuries or however you count it in the mining industry, lost fingers, whatever it is. And uh, they, uh, they really had made great strides. And after I got off the phone with him, I realized well, they were they were killing two or three people a year before that. And here it is three years later, no fatalities except for these. I really didn't count these. That's like somewhere between six and nine people are going home for Christmas this year that wouldn't have gone home otherwise. And that was just, I remember that was just like a light going off. You know, just like a, wow. Um, because we don't usually get that kind of feedback. We do taproot training. We help people learn. They go back. Sometimes they come back and tell us success stories, but a lot of times we don't hear about those success stories. So I passed that on to my staff, and they were all blown away, too. We actually told them at the Christmas party about it, and they were like, wow. So it was a couple of years later than that, after that. It was at one of the summits. Um, This one was up in Gatlinburg, and a guy came up to me from... uh, He said, Hey, listen, you you might not know me, but I work at a small refinery and we implemented Taproot about four years ago and we used to have fatalities and we don't have them anymore. And I was thinking about it. This is him saying this. I was thinking about it and I thought, You know, we probably have three people who are alive today because of the work we're doing using Taproot to prevent accidents. And he said... Then I got thinking about how many people you train and there's probably like hundreds or thousands of people alive who wouldn't have been alive otherwise. And I want to thank you for what you do. That sort of broke me up because I hadn't thought about it that way. I hadn't thought about what each and individual ones of you are doing out there to really change the world and keep people alive. And we don't get that. We don't, we don't go out and do many investigations. We do some. We do facilitations. And we get out there and we help people learn taproot, obviously. But we don't get that feeling from the field of, you know, people are going home safe tonight that wouldn't have otherwise. So I just think that's really great. Another one, another one is really fun. I, had, uh, I was teaching a course in St. Louis. And um, it was a two-day course, and there were five guys from the same facility. And whenever there's five people from the same facility, I always think there's something up, and I think I ought to go talk to them find out why. But it was a busy course, and I didn't get a chance to. So about six months later, I'm teaching a course down in Orlando. Oh, they were from Houston, by the way. And, and I wondered, why were they in St. Louis? Now, I don't really count St. Louis as a vacation destination, but I thought there must be, maybe they all 5 wanted to see the arch or something, right? I don't know why. Why would they come up to St. Louis to get a course when they could have gone to a course in Houston? I didn't know. Didn't ask the question, didn't know why. So I'm in Orlando, and I'm doing a five-day course, and these same five guys show up. And now I'm pretty sure, you know, this is, this is some kind of boondoggle, right? These guys got an infinite amount of money from their company. They can go wherever they want, do whatever they want. I don't know how it works but it's, I'm pretty sure if they're five of them in Orlando and they've only been six months since their two-day, they, they must got some kind of deal. And, and I never got a chance to ask them, why are all five of you here? About nine months after that, these same five guys show up at the summit. Well, now I can't stand it. i, I got to find out, why are, what are you guys doing? And where where'd you get this infinite budget? And I still remember the guy's name was Jeremy Esquivel. And I went to Jeremy and said, Jeremy, what are you doing here at the summit? How did you get to go to Orlando? Why did you go to St. Louis? Basically, asked them all these questions. And he goes, well, let me tell you the story. And he said, the story goes like this. Our plant was basically going to get shut down. Our plant manager, we were losing money. We were losing money, and the corporate gurus had come in, and they'd all try to figure out how to make us make money and they couldn't figure it out. So the plant manager got one of your brochures about root cause analysis, and he told, he, Jeremy was an engineer, he told me, to, for me to get me and somebody from corporate and somebody from maintenance and a couple of operators and go to your course. And that was the last ditch effort. We were gonna try to find the root causes and see what we could do. So we came up to St. Louis and we went back. He said, day we got back, we started doing investigations. And he said, three shifts, three investigations. And what we soon found out was they were all the same. Every shift was running the plant the way they wanted to run it. So every shift turnover, we had to stop running it the way the last shift did because they don't know how to do business. And we had to change to the way the next shift was going to do it. And that got us about 30 minutes or more of Well, I'd say downtime, but it was waste. Wasted product that didn't meet spec while they changed over from one way to operate the plant to another way to operate the plant. And every eight hours that was happening. So we were losing an hour and a half's worth of production, dumping it a day, just because everybody wanted to run it differently. He said, by the third investigation, we'd figured this out. And he said, you know... I don't know how nobody else knew this. Oh, by the way, none of them were doing it by the procedure, right? They all had a better way. And so we got, there were four shifts, but they only watched three. Um, I don't know how the fourth shift did it, but they got everybody in the room and said, listen, we're all going to lose our jobs if we don't figure this out. We have to agree on one way to run this place and one way only, and we have to do it that way 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if we can't do that, we're all going to get fired, so it was a good motivation for him to agree. They did. They started running it the same way. He said once they started running things the same way, you you could do investigations into things that were really going wrong. But that first thing saved about, I don't remember how, you can figure out what an hour and a half is out of 24 hours a day. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a small amount of production they were losing. And if you put that straight to the bottom line, that went from losing money to break an even, which was a huge thing for them. Then he said you could start seeing what the other problems were because every shift there wasn't an upset. So you could start seeing where there were other things we could fix. He said within within about two months, we were making money. So I heard about the five day and I went to plant manager and said, listen, can we go to five day course? He said, you got it, go. So they all went to the five-day course in Orlando. They went back with even more ways to improve performance, more good things they can do, optional techniques, Equifactor, whatever, and they started applying that. And they got even more improvement. That won them the corporate. They had some kind of annual corporate award for performance improvement, and they didn't even know what it was. But what they found out was they were flying a corporate jet to go get them, to fly him to New York to have dinner with the CEO. It was, it was a French-run company. And so this guy was flying over to, from France to New York. He didn't want to fly down to Bodum, whatever it was, Texas. So he had them flown up to New York, so they got to dinner in New York. And they were like, whoo, you know. Corporate jets are pretty cool, especially when you're a plant operator. You get the corporate jet to fly you to New York to have dinner with the CEO at a fancy restaurant. That's good stuff. So they got back from that and they saw this thing about the summit and said, well, you know, why not? So they asked the, they asked the, uh, this, is, this is the, the by best part of the story probably. They asked, this, they asked the plant manager, they go to the summit. He said, you got it. They went to the summit. They're all having a good time. They went back home. Now here's the bad part of the story. You'd think that'd be an internal success story for the company, right? It was, right? The CEO had them to dinner. But somebody at corporate found out they were using an unapproved root cause analysis tool. That was not the company's root cause analysis tool. That was some foreigners outside the company's root cause analysis tool and they had to use the company's root cause analysis tool. And guess what? They made them stop using it. That is the most bizarre part of the story that I think. But I still think about the guys and how happy they were at that summit because they finally found out how they could fix problems. And these these were mainly operational and maintenance kinds of problems. You know, once they had the every shift thing, then a lot of it had to do with getting good equipment reliability, good process reliability, not making mistakes, and they got really good at that. So I always hope that even though they told them they couldn't use it anymore, they still did anyhow. That's a lot of years now. I don't know where Jeremy is anymore. I haven't seen him at a summit since then because, you know, once you get told you that's naughty, you can't do that, corporate says, And I don't see how, I guess I understand how big corporations work. I guess I understand how the CEO can fly you up to go take you out to dinner and then somebody else on a corporate staff can say, no, you can't do that because it's a big corporation and sometimes they just make crazy rules, right? And you wonder, how do they stay in business? And you don't know. Um, But those are my three stories um, that really frequently stick in my mind. There's a bunch of other ones. um, And... And, they, and if you get me aside some other time, I'll tell you a whole bunch of stories. But I think three's enough for now to get you the idea of, you know, it really does make a difference what you do. And I bet each one of you out there have at least one success story in you of something you've done that has made a big difference. And And you should feel proud of that because it really is tough sometimes in corporate environments to, you know, you'd think it'd be easy. you think improvement would be easy, but there's blame involved, right? I'm sure none of you have ever seen blame involved, have you? There's ridiculous cost-cutting measures where we slit our own throat by cutting costs because, I don't know, who knows, I don't mean quarterly, whatever, right? Um, there's changes in management, and the new guy comes in and says, I like five whys. Because I've heard that's really good stuff. Never tried it myself, but I could ask it one day. Um, and then there's, and then there's just uh, corporations selling stuff off and buying stuff, and the craziness that goes on in the corporate world. So you've got all the challenges that make it hard to do your job, but you overcome and persist. And I think that's really important. I think I think that's what Tammy said today. He's talked about persistence. Where'd you go, Tammy? There you are, talking about persistence. That just really hit home with me. Persistence is what you got to have. Um, and Rick Over, another Rick Over saying, I mentioned one earlier today, another Rick Over saying was that a good idea never got implemented on its own. You have to persist, you have to persist, you have to persist. You have to drive it, forcefully drive it into implementation. And, and you know, he was, he was one who battled against the system and really worked hard to get excellence. In the Navy, where there really wasn't excellence to start with. I mean, he was talking about the seven guys who died in his one, it's a nine-month period, seven guys dying, and they thought it was a successful cruise. Um, that wouldn't be a successful one for Rick over. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To view the video version of this episode, visit our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Please visit us on our website at taproot.com for up-to-date information and blog articles designed to help you excel in your performance improvement program. And please sign up for our newsletter so you'll get the notifications of when new information is released, where we're teaching around the world, and all things Taproot. We will see you next time on our podcast version of Taproot TV.